Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Ed. This is Kevin. We are back with a road sweep. Uh, it is uh, Monday after Super Bowl Sunday, and it was uh, a, a great weekend. A great weekend. Very good weekend. The we're very good Saturday before the Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, yeah, sets set this all sets all up really well because uh, you know the, the Super Bowl finishes. And there's about a few days lull here, and then college basketball really takes center stage for the next three, four, two to three weeks here before March Madness. So, uh, yeah, good time to, to get this rolling. Very good time to get this rolling, uh, especially with the broader context of what happened in the country this uh, weekend, or past week, really. And besides besides just the country, what happened to the Pac-12, but we'll, we'll get into all of that in a second, but... Let's start with the Oregon trip. Uh, we took on Oregon State on Thursday. Didn't really have much trouble there. No, and we were never going to have trouble. We talked about this last week on the podcast, right? I mean, it didn't matter really if we won by one or thirty-one. Oregon State's a bad team. Um, you know, there 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 was not a whole lot to be taken away from that game. But we did play solid, I thought overall. Uh, after again another slow start. I thought the, the methodical way we went about the game uh, was very businesslike. It was very professional, as we've said before. Um, you know, a rough game for our star, our stars, Jaime Hawkins, Tiger Campbell. So it was good that we could get the wheels back rolling for the likes of Jalen Clark. Obviously, this, the star of the show was Mari Bailey with his 24 points, went 10 of 16 from the field, scored from the mid-range, scored finishing at the rim over bigs. Uh he, that was the start of the weekend for him, and it was a great start, a good continuation from what he did last week. Uh, his development, I think, is it, – it, he's, he's exceeded expectations, I think, after that injury of his. Uh, I don't think anyone had thought that he would come back and be hitting the ground running the way he is. Definitely not. I think what was really impressive about his scoring night against Oregon State was he did not – hit a three in this game, which we thought was going to become a weapon, and we, we really hope it becomes a weapon. But this was a game where he just took over with the flurry of drives to the basket, mid-range shots. He was really able to show off some of that athleticism that the uh, Oregon State really couldn't keep up with. And he really, that second half especially, he was he was dominant, really. If you watch him play, like, there was nobody on the floor that could stop him in that game. He was 10 for 16, um, played 26 minutes, and just really, I, I think, was his first game. I think we've seen him really uh, take over. I don't think we've seen him. He's he's had a few nights where he's had good scoring. He's he's played hard. Uh, but this was a night where he really was was ascending to the level, which I think a lot of people were expecting to him to look like. Uh, and it was great to see, all while playing very good defense. I think what has been so impressive about Amari when he's been able to play, aside from when he was hurt, his defense has been uh, honestly very, 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 very good, especially for a freshman. I mean, he's probably one of the better defenders on the team. Uh, and obviously he has a little bit of a, a natural advantage with his athleticism over some of our other guys, but the way he's bought in and has played so hard on defense and has been able to buy into that the system and 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 defend hard has been really really impressive and he's been able to turn that in offense. I think we saw this in this game a lot. 
He had a couple of steals that he was able to break away on. He, he was generating offense with his defense. And this was the game uh, I think we kind of will look back on and say that was kind of the turning point for Amari Bailey or for that switch to turn on. Yeah, we're, we're going to go a little... I know we're going to go more into the Oregon game, but just the overall weekend and where Amari Bailey is at. We talked earlier in the year about how the hallmark of UCLA under McCronin is about player development. You know, fundamentally, players get better here. And Amari Bailey right now, um, you've seen the improvement from game one to now... The interesting thing about him is, depending on, on what you read and, and who you listen to, there are those who say that his junior year, the athleticism that, that he had that year was kind of a notch above what he's got right now. Whatever that injury was, his senior year knocked him down a pedal to where that's probably why he's not projected in the, in the draft boards the way that maybe we thought he would be his junior year in high school. So what's the response to that? Well, the response to that is, you got to now be a scorer at all three levels. You got to have the three-point shot, you got to have the mid-range, you got to have the drive to the basket, and you have to have the passing ability to be really dangerous. And he's developed each one of those facets of his game. The three-point shot didn't fall in this trip as much, but we've seen it now come in flashes and hopefully that becomes a weapon. The mid-range game though is what's really impressive to me. One dribble pull-up, two dribble pull-ups. You can tell Mick said, you know, they've been working on this where earlier in the year he was doing a lot of dribbling to nowhere, too many dribbles that weren't really impactful. So now what you're seeing a lot is just one dribble quick, go. Two dribbles quick and go, and they're all in rhythm. They're, they're all just going in the flow. And that's really key because guys, I don't think anyone's caught on to that yet. You know, this is all new for, for our conference, for, for, for the Pac-12. Um, and so right now he's able to get to those shots whenever he wants. And what's What's good about this is, again, this isn't building blocks here. He's got it at all three levels to where if you key in on one, eventually he can get to the next one. That's hopefully what we see going on going forward. I Look, if we are going to unlock the highest gear of this team, we need Amari Bailey to keep playing like this. And, I, and I'm not saying he needs to score 24 points a night, but we need to have him playing with this level of confidence and this level of defense. And and I think he absolutely will do that. And and he continued doing that in the Oregon game. And we'll, we can jump to that in a second. But I think the the confidence is growing for him. The light bulb is turning on for him. And that is nothing but a good thing for UCLA right now. I think that this is clicking at the right time. The one other thing I, I do want to mention of, uh, before we move on to that Oregon game is I think you touched on this a little bit. Uh, Kevin, but Jalen Clark seems to have gotten a little bit more of his, his uh, offensive mojo back. He was 7 for 10 here, scored 16 points, uh, all while doing his normal deflective, uh, stealing uh, <laughs> supernova on the defensive end. So uh, it, it's great to see him coming back uh, into form a little bit on the offensive side, all while keeping his head in the game on the defensive side. So just wanted to shout Jalen out there. I, we've we've seen him uh, developing that offensive game over the season. You know, he he's had some lulls. He's had some slumps. But I think we, we're seeing him kind of coming out of that again. And again, this is all happening at a very, very good time for UCLA to start putting it together again. 
Yeah, Jalen Clark, I think this trip went back to a bit more of his roots, right? He's not the guy that you give the ball to and he isolates and goes back to the basket and scores efficiently that way. That's that's not his game. I don't, I'm not sure that ever will be his game. But he can get his points by just playing his natural game, which is getting deflections, getting out in transition. Jalen Clark in transition is a very effective guy. Uh, if, if, if anyone's noticed, his finishing in transition is better than a lot of guys on our team. He always either gets a foul call or he get, get, finishes the layup in transition. So just by that effort, putbacks, uh, he's going to get his double-digit points in there if he just plays his game. And I think he's kind of gone, gone back to that this trip. So that was good to see. And then, you know, that's also why the emergence of Bailey here is, is so great because I think for us to reach our potential, Bailey's got to be our second scorer. Not Tiger Campbell will get his points too. There'll be games where he can get go off and get 20, 25 points. But more often than not, you know, I think Bailey's got to be comfortable enough to just get the ball and make decisions and be able to score or dish. And then Jalen can get his, his points just playing his game. So I thought that was a good thing out of this whole trip, but especially in this Oregon State game. The one other thing I want to say about this Oregon State game, um, my man, Will McClendon, if you got a shot, you got to shoot, man. Because um, th- 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 <laughs> there was like, like three, four times in this game Especially that disastrous last ninety seconds when we we were you know that that was really bad for all analytical purposes and rankings and such, um, but even before that, like three four times he has open shots and he's just trying to dish and find open people and and by the time by the time he does all that the shot clock's expiring. Um, if he has a shot, be a little selfish. He, he's got to shoot. You know, if he's out there, he's got to shoot, and that's going to expand his minutes. He can do it. He can clearly do it. Otherwise, he wouldn't be out there. So. Yeah, I mean, my man, just you got a shot, just shoot it. And we've heard continuously over the season that in practice, at least, he is a more than efficient three-point shooter. Now, we haven't seen that translate in games, and I can't remember a three that he's hit in a game. I know he's taken a few, and very few, but I, I don't have any that So here's that the thing, here's the thing. He, I haven't seen him make a three either. I think now I'm looking... But he's made shots. Yeah, he's made so, shots. So, so that's it, right? Like, I'm looking at stats here. It looks like he's made one three at some point. I don't know when it was. But otherwise, like, that, that little floater game of his, or, like, that, that little um, like mid-range, like, shot that he's got, like, he's made a few of those. And he had those in this game, but instead he's deciding to, you know, pass it up to, to Jaime in the late shot clock or pass it up to somebody else. Just let it fly, man. Let it fly, because you can do it. We've seen him make those shots, he, and eventually we, we hope his three-point shooting will come around. Again, this is only game number 15 for Will McClendon. Um, you know, he is coming off an injury. This is game 15 and what's probably going to be a four-year career for him. So, you know, for everyone that's, like, getting on him, don't get on him, but Will... Shoot the ball, man. And he's been he's been generally a good player on the on the floor in terms of you know taking care of the ball, playing hard on defense. He has that dog mentality when he's defending. Like he is there clapping in the other dude's face, trying to get the ball away and not letting him get past him. So he he brings value and, and he can score. And to your point, I think most memorably, I remember him in that Arizona game where he. Brought a little life to our offense for a little uh, flurry there in the second half where he might have been like the only guy who scored within in uh, several minutes for UCLA. But, yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, him, I think uh, Dylan Andrews, I think is a little bit um, more confident in his shot. 
if you guys have the shot, I think these guys need to definitely make try to take the shot there. And if anything, like let's get those the, their confidences up going into the uh, into the tournament. Yeah. I also, yeah. Uh, speaking of the bench, it was nice. It's nice to I think we can officially say that David Singleton is kind of out of his mini shooting slump. Uh, he's consistently shooting like fifty percent from three now. <laughs> Uh, he looks confident. That shot looks a lot more natural. It's just he's letting it fly with confidence and with a little bit more uh, smoothness than I think he was shooting uh, with when he was starting. So that is a, also a great thing to see that we ha- actually have somebody who can consistently shoot the three when he's on the on the court. Um, one negative of this game, if we're going to talk about negatives, again... Like you said, pretty business-like, professional-like win. But Adem Bona against a smaller front line was hoping for a little more out of him here. Yeah, possibly. At the same time, um, that was at the expense usually of Amari Bailey going off and driving to the rim. I think... I think Amari had the option most of the time here to drive and either dish to a dem or go himself, and he just chose himself in those. So on on, on that side, I'm fine with it. Um, but a dem Bona, his success rate right now on these one on ones when he chooses to go up uh, with the ball, uh, I mean I don't have any stats to show this. It just feels like a one on one matchup right now for him in both the games. Um, you know, and, and Oregon State doesn't mean so much, but but in the in the other one, which you know we can we can talk about this one now, but those bigs are no joke, and Adem Bona going one on one, it's a high percentage shot now for him. So you know, for UCLA, the key is to get him the ball more in those situations, and, and then for him, it's to put himself there and then go ahead and be aggressive and take the shot because he's making a high clip of these one on one scoring opportunities right now. He has shown a lot more depthness, I think, on the offensive side of the ball uh, than I think anybody was expecting from him. He he has some moves, some post moves that I think he's shown off from time to time. He he showed the ability to actually dribble it a little more than I was expecting from him. There's been a few instances where he's been able to like dribble and drive the ball in short spurts, so that's been interesting to see. Uh, I, I think largely, yeah, you can see that there is an offensive game to be had there with him. Whether or not we see that unlock the season to any degree, I don't know, or to a further degree than what we've seen. But I, I think if we fed him the ball, he is a guy that who can get us a bucket if he's if he's playing confidently and playing well, uh, and he has a good matchup. So uh, it's it's something to watch. Uh, I I think let's. If, I guess, transition over to the Oregon game. I do think that we saw a little bit more out of him there in very limited minutes, though, because of foul trouble. Uh, Pac-12 refs really reared their heads, ugly heads, really, in in this one early on. Yeah, I mean, so first off, let's add context for, you know, this entire game. Um, This was set up to... We were scared shitless of this game, by the way. So, again, I got to come on here and, like, own what I said last week, right? I I, I said I saw very little path to victory. Um, And and if we were going to win, then we were going to need to make some shots. Someone was going to need to step up and just take the bull by the horns. 
and we were going to need to protect the ball. And all those things happened. Every single one of those things happened. Um, it was it was it was great to see. Um, it was the return of Cronin Math to start. Uh, we had we were plus eight in the turnover margin, and we were even on the rebounds. So that means we're going to have many more shot opportunities. We shot just about the same percentage as Oregon. They they made you know one more three than we did, and shot a two percent higher. But again, the the math really didn't work out in their favor because of the deflections and turnovers that we got. Um, you know, first half, if you watch this game, you were probably coming away thinking, oh, you're, yeah, this is, this is going to be a long night because especially late in that first half, Oregon got in a bit of a run there, um, was starting to feel themselves offensively. Uh, they were making some shots. Dante was, was, was having his way. I think he had 11 points in the first half. And on our end, in the first half, Jaime Hawkins was struggling. Tiger was struggling. The only guy, really, that was keeping us in this game in the first half was Amari Bailey with that, again, the one dribble pull-up, two dribble pull-ups with confidence. And, and this game, you know, the Oregon State game, they were rattling in a little bit. This, These ones were all swishes, like the, just that, that cut of the net. You could hear the, the noise coming through. Um, so the first half, you know, would be forgiven if you were a little skeptical there, but the second half... A couple of really big adjustments, I think, from, from Mick in this one. Um, for one, bringing Jaime out of the of the paint to the top of the key. And not just the, to the top of the key, but like between the free throw line and the, and the half court line to where the defender is coming all the way out. And, and this opened up so many things. It allowed him to take on a big to where he could get to a spot and hit a fadeaway whenever he wanted to. It allowed him, if it was a smaller defender, to then go back to his bully ball in the post. It also freed up a lot of space for Tiger when he did have chances where, you know, if Jaime's on the perimeter and he's not in there and Tiger can play pick and roll with Bona or whoever the big is, he had a lot of good looks that, I mean, he just couldn't throw a pee in the ocean this game. Uh, he, I mean, it was not a great shooting game for him, but he got good looks off of it. And I remember one play, I think it was probably with about, like, you know, five or six minutes to go where, you know, at this point, Jaime has just hit 12, 14 in a row. And he's just going off from three, from mid range, from everywhere. And so then now they're starting to send a double on him and he hits Jalen Clark for a wide open three that splashes in. And that was the point where they just looked like all the Oregon players just look, they were like, what, what are we going to do now? You know, what, what are we going to do? Cause, cause he's hitting shots and he's hitting shots and, and all this stuff is happening around David Singleton's making his shots that's how that's the UCLA offense we've been waiting for that little stretch in in the second half and again barring some crazy last two minutes where every prayer that Oregon was thrown up went in from three um, this was a blowout this was convincing stuff it was absolutely a blowout uh, Jaime there was a stretch where we we went on that 13-0 run Jaime scored 12 of those points he went absolutely nuclear for a guy who had seven points at half, he completely put the team on the back on his back offensively in that second half. Um, obviously, credit to to Mick Cronin for making that adjustment, throwing in those screens. Additionally, uh, he just they they couldn't they couldn't keep like contain him any way or form. Um, I will also shout out Jalen Clark. He also had a pretty good offensive game. 
in this game, especially in the second half, and, and he obviously hit that three-point shot. One thing that's become clear for Jalen, I know it's not always the prettiest or you know most textbook three-point stroke that, that you've ever seen, but he's become a pretty consistent enough three-point shooter now to where you have to respect him from, the, from beyond the arc. I mean, he's shooting into the like, mid-30s, I think, last time I checked percentage from from three which is a solid three-point shooter so if, this is what we've been saying like if he can develop a little bit more of that three-point game and at least have other teams respect him like that is going to open up so much for this team and it and it has and he's been able to shoot them in big moments too obviously that usc one comes to mind the three-point he the shot he hit in this oregon game was a big big shot a big moment i think really put the lid on oregon to some degree so, so that is a nice development from him. I also think that Jaime Hawkes should be shooting more threes. He went two for three in this game. Uh, he's been consistently, just his shot has looked better. His percentages have gone up over the last several games. I just, I think we need to get him shooting threes a little bit more. I, I know this, it, it seems counterintuitive, but for a guy that hasn't really lived beyond the arc... But it's something that I think is mutually beneficial for both the team and him. I know that's one thing that he has been trying to improve for his draft stock. And I think it would uh, hugely benefit UCLA's offense if we can get him uh, to be a guy who can shoot. You know, maybe he's, I think, averaging a little over two, two threes a game. But you can get him into that three, four threes a game. I think he'll be, and keep, keep him shooting at the percentage that he, percentage he is. Like the sky's the limit for for that offense, but really let's 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 not let's not dim the the lights on the the true star of the show here, Kevin. I mean, yes, the offense carried the team in parts and and it looked efficient, but my God, that defense man was we just put the handcuffs on Oregon on a more athletic team. We were just more physical than them and we just did not let anybody beat us like no man was getting by our guys period so, so this is what we've been waiting for and and why this game was so big i mean look oregon's not a great team and they're gonna have to work like they're really gonna have to work like hell if they're gonna try to make the tournament from here just because of how bad they were early on in the year um but the personnel is is very good i think they have about top 16 top 20 talent on their roster and the question for UCLA has been this year and has been it was last year too if you face a team that has some more upper tier length and athleticism like Oregon does possess with their bigs um, and their guards are are, are fairly athletic and, and some of them are longer too then are they going to be able to handle that and how do they handle that is is the bigger question and now I think we've seen a couple examples of, of of this style of game where UCLA, if they're playing that kind of personnel, needs to impose their style onto the game, which is one of deflections, turnovers, high activity on defense, a lot of rotations, fast rotations, accurate rotations. That's the stuff that I think no matter what personnel you're playing against, it, it can work. And in this game, it really worked. Oregon... 16 turnovers i mean in that second half there was a stretch there where i don't know if they went two possessions in a row without turning the ball over uh, it, that's just that's just how it went 
Um, they had 33 at half. I think they scored four points the next 10 minutes, and they scored four points the next, like, five minutes after that before their little lucky streak came on the last two minutes of the game. Um, For a large portion of that second half, Jaime Hawkes had more points than all of Oregon's team combined scoring in that second half. So, Which is insane to think about. That's insane. And again, so now if UCLA does see one of these longer athletic teams in the tournament, this is our answer, right? Our activity has just got to be greater than anybody else's. Um, our, our rate of deflections and turnovers has just got to be greater than anybody else's. And then you got to have somebody step up. Uh, you got to have a couple, a couple guys just step up and hit big-time shots when it's time to hit them. And this game, that was Jaime Jaquez. The three-point shooting point that you brought up, um, I don't think it's it's counterintuitive at all. Uh, I, I think that early on in his career, if you remember, he was a 39% three-point shooter uh, it, in, in the 2020-21 season. Last year, because of his ankles, he just kind of stopped shooting threes altogether. Since January, since the turn of the new year, Jaime Hawkins is the best three-point shooter on the team. Now, Law of averages probably eventually catches up here, but but the stroke does look good. I mean, the sh- that the shot is looking pretty good right now, and so him opening up that part of his game is, I think, what just made this this so dangerous. Because if he's out there on the perimeter as an actual threat, th- and he's not just always inside, because that was the formula to beating UCLA, right? Just pack in the paint and then dare the likes of their outside shooters. If you can close out just fast enough, they're not even going to get, get, a, get a shot off. But if Jaime's out in the perimeter and that inside's opened up, then Tiger gets better shots, Jaime will get better shots, and then from there, everyone will get better shots. Yeah, I, mean, I, I completely agree with that. I, I think additionally, like in this game specifically, what we schemed against Oregon was, was a masterpiece. I mean, you look at Oregon, and Oregon's a team that likes to get out and transition, and they need to get out and transition to score some buckets. And we really did not let them do that for the entirety of this game, especially that second half. Like, nobody was able to really break out for Oregon. I think they – I remember, like, one maybe transition bucket, maybe two in that second half, but they really clamped out on those transition buckets for the Ducks. The second thing that I was really, really impressed with in this game, regardless of some of the foul trouble that we were in, was how the bigs really held their own in this game. Uh, these guys, Bona, Nuba, uh, you know, even getting Mac in there for a little bit when we needed to because of foul trouble, they played excellent, really, really excellent um post-defense here because you think about, and you've talked about this a lot, like guys like Dante Khalil where they're athletic, long uh, and you know we were scared that these guys were going to take our guys to to town here and we absolutely did it back down and these our big guys played them straight up, we didn't even like double them very much because these guys were so good now Yes, they we got called for some ticky-tacky fouls in the first half that kind of might make you believe that we weren't um, as good in the post this way, or defending without fouling, but go back and watch this game, because watching all three of our bigs kind of go up, go toe-to-toe with guys like Dante and Ware um, was 
really a, a thing of beauty to see. So again, always, um, always good to see, see that kind of, these guys starting to step up in that, in these situations. Uh, Amari Bailey, again, great defense all, all around in this game. I think we're, we've, we've said that plenty, uh, we just it's hope that just, he's okay. We we hope that uh, it's uh, you know that that ankle is doing all right, um, because that that first half, yeah, you know he couldn't be stopped. Uh, the second half, he didn't score. He came back. He played. He he moved all right. Everything was fine. But uh, you know, Mari, uh, take my ankles if you need them. Yeah, just uh, you know, get 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 back it get back up on there. Yeah, and it was good to see him come back and and keep playing. So clearly wasn't wasn't anything major luckily there um but it's it's really a a luxury i feel like for ucla basketball to go up to oregon and not only you know beat the ducks but get a sweep up there there's been you know lots of times i feel like in ucla history where we go and uh end up losing a game or both games in oregon and this was a a trend that nobody liked, but we finally kind of bucked that trend, and it was—it's been a very long time since we won in Eugene, and this was a, a very clutch time to do so, especially considering the broader context of the Pac-12 this weekend, uh, with our good friend Stanford somehow beating hey, Arizona. Stanford. Yeah, thank you, Stanford. You know, I've been on record and uh, as a as a Stanford hater, and I will stand by that forever. But, you know, shout out to the trees in this one. Thank you for beating Arizona. I don't know how that happened, but I don't think anybody saw that coming. But, you know, I've been, I've been, I've, I've been waiting for this week uh, when we play the Bay Area schools for a while just so that we could have about a a five, a, a two to, to five minute period where we just shit on the Bay Area schools for being so useless at playing basketball this year. And then Stanford, man, you, you go and do this. Um, you know what? I'll be a little nice to you today because uh, you just gave us a two-game lead in the conference and basically have put us now in, in full position to where we, we really can't screw this up from here. I, I, it would be bad to screw it up from here. I mean, it's UCLA. We can still screw it we up. We can screw up anything. Ahead of but we can screw up anything. But, but, but thank you, Stanford, for your service. Uh, your st- Jared Haas just, I think, got an extension out of this game, by the way. <laughs> did, did he really? Is, is... No, I don't. No, I, I don't think he actually did, but like he might. Again, like so, Jared Haas. I've been waiting for this week to talk about how terrible Jared Haas has done at a school that has a lot of history of winning basketball. I mean, this isn't like a no nobody kind of a place for basketball. Stanford. I mean, you remember the mid two thousands with the Lopez twins when they were a top ten team. The early 2000s, when you know there was a period where they were number one, and, and Steve Lavin's claim to fame was upsetting number one Stanford uh, a couple times. Uh, you know, this is a school of some some winning basketball, and Jared Haas is he's now been there. This is what his seventh year, zero tournament appearances. No, uh, he, he had one third place finish in the conference, but otherwise it's ninth, eighth, seventh. Um, it's been it's been bad and uh and they've had talent too they it's not like they haven't gotten guys who can play uh they, they've had some decent pieces and they still have some decent pieces they just i don't think jared haas is a very good coach you just can't put it together yeah i mean 
Stanford, again, you know, th thank you very much for your service. Um, we are now effectively a, a full two games now ahead of of Arizona. It's uh, it's a game and a half, but again, it's because we've played the the one extra game, right? Um, and so now, if we look at this, uh, we get Arizona obviously at home. The reason that it was good for us to kind of break serve and beat Oregon. Um, which is a game they lost, right? So that's the break of serve there. And then for them to go and lose to Stanford is is this. Um, the, the tiebreaker for the Pac-12, is it comes down to, let's say that you know both teams beat each other and there's a tie for head-to-head. -head. It then comes down to the record against the next best team in the conference. And I still think that'll end up being SC, um, even though they went and pulled off the, the unthinkable this weekend by losing to Oregon State. Um, I mean, it was completely useless, too. I mean, we, we just saw them, right? Um, so even though they went ahead and did that, I still think probably it's going to end up being SC. Now, if it ends up being Utah, uh, then Arizona's in a lot of trouble. But, you know, there's a chance... There, there's, there was a very live scenario where, say, we lost that game at Oregon, and Arizona went ahead and ran the table until they played us, meaning they would have beaten SC twice. And in that... In that scenario, even if if we were to if we would have dropped maybe one other game in the mountain trip or something, um, even beating Arizona was not going to win us the conference. So uh, the the results really went in our favor this weekend, both for us and elsewhere. Definitely, and losing to Stanford is a legitimately bad loss. Let's not sugarcoat this. This was not like so. A... So here's what's interesting about it, right? Because Stanford beat Arizona. At home. They've now projected themselves into not being as bad of a loss. It's, it's, it's the whole quad system is kind of a weird, self-fulfilling, weird circular thing. I it somehow defies logic. Yeah, Stanford's now a top. It, it, they're ninety fifth in Ken Palm. I gotta see what they are in the net rankings, but I think that only qualified as a quad two loss for Arizona somehow. Um, which again, if if anybody knows anything about Stanford. I mean, we saw that. We, we played them earlier in the year. What was it, like 30-2, to two, like in the first five minutes of that game? So, yeah, Stanford's terrible, and um, yeah, somehow somehow it happened. And now we just hope Stanford goes back to their losing ways. So, they can, so again, they keep hurting, so, uh, Arizona's I'll, strength. I'll, I'll go back to praising Stanford for just a hot second here. They were 5-12 and 12, um, on January the 14th. Uh, today on it's February the thirteenth. They are eleven and fourteen. So they've gone six and two. They, you know they they've gone they've gone six and two in this little stretch. Um, they they've beaten Oregon at home. They've beaten Utah on the road. Now they've beaten Arizona, and you know they had the the loss to Arizona State at home, where they they were up the entire game. They lost by four, and then one bad loss to Colorado. So they've gotten better. They're they're definitely playing much better than they were earlier in the year. I mean, it's not as much of a cakewalk as maybe we would have thought it would have been, you know, at, at, at this point after we played them last time. Spencer Jones is, is playing playing very well for them. Um, but that said, uh, you know. They're bad, but they're not Cal-level bad. Cal, put it in that context. Cal is a level of bad that... I'm not sure we've seen in the Pac-12 for a long time. Um, it's, it's been a while. It's it's really ugly. Cal, so right now, it, 
if there are 296 in net there are a total of 363 teams in net <laughs> so oh yeah it's it's bad it's and and we've seen you know some decent cal teams over the years you know the, some tournament teams but this is really bad so so cal is the game where you know what uh that's kind of similar to oregon state but even less so um I mean, I, I, I don't know. We could win by by five. We can been, win by 55, and there's really not a whole lot we're going to learn from that game because um, they're just that terrible. But that said, I think this week, you know, it's it offers us some, some opportunities to really, I think, improve in certain areas. It's an improvement week. Um, get our bench some time. Get the likes of Dylan Andrews, Will McClendon, some good time. And you know, this week I want to see a double-digit game from from one of them. Uh, I want I want to see either Dylan or Will hit hit a double-digit in points, uh, you know, in scoring. So that I think is a, is a great opportunity to develop over there. I'd love to see if we can get Mac Etienne some more time uh, and get him some some more minutes. Now, what's interesting is that you know, in the the Oregon game, Ken Nwubug picked up a ton of fouls, but his positional defense was very good, um, and. Mac came in and ended up doing a good job. I still think that there's a level that Mac probably can hit, just with what we've seen him do, that Ken Wuba's just not going to hit. So I'd love to get him more time. And the other thing I'd love to do this week is, you know, Amari Bailey, go alpha. I want He needs to touch the ball every other possession and have the choice to shoot or pass. Uh, I want 15-5 and five from him these, the, the, uh, this week um, and, and to start getting consistent at that level. I also want to just see Jaime keep up what he's doing. I think that we need to keep that momentum going. He doesn't need to go nuclear every game, but let's just keep that consistency going for him because I think that will be important going into the into the postseason as well. But to to keep uh, the ceiling of this team as high as possible, I think we need to keep him playing at this level and for his sake too. Like, let's get him shooting more of those threes. Let's get him uh, and keep him in that national player of the year conversation. I think that would be an incredible accomplishment at the end of the year if he can get him there. But he needs to keep playing at this level and better uh, down the stretch. And, and I think he's fully capable of doing it. But we just need to keep that consistency going. And I think it looks like he is hungry and rounding into form to keep this up. Um, but we gotta we got to keep riding that momentum with him. Well, now with that in mind, uh, I think some quick football news to, to, to share, right? Which, it's all rumor at this point. It's all... Uh, yeah, I don't know if we can call it news, but there's, yeah, there's, there's some smoke. There's some smoke. Um, but yeah, I think what, what you're referring to, Kevin, is there's some rumors floating around amongst a lot of UCLA uh, circles that Bill McGovern is going to be out at defensive coordinator. Nothing substantiated yet, nothing really concrete, but something has come out of uh, the athletic department that is indicating this to certain folks. And there is some some smoke here, I think, to to actually be paying attention to it. I don't know what that means for McGovern. I don't know what that means for a defensive coordinator search or who it could be. Like, we don't really know anything yet, but 
there's just some some buzz around that. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see you know how how it all shakes out. Obviously, we've talked a whole lot on this show about the need for change on defense and wholesale change. Um, the unfortunate thing is, you know, we've gone through a full transfer cycle. We haven't really been able to restock the shelves uh, at all the positions we've liked, we w- as we would have liked. Uh, we've done done a pretty good job overall, I'd say, the transfer portal. But on defense, especially without a coordinator in place and knowing what kind of scheme you're going to run, it's hard to do that. So, uh, you know, hopefully for UCLA, we can we can sort that whole thing out. Um, it, it's, obviously, it's obviously a sensitive situation as well. So hopefully it all works out for, for all parties involved. Absolutely. I don't think we're in any position to start uh, with the uh, who's our dream defensive coordinator or potential DC hire lists. But we just wanted to call this out because, you know, people are talking about it and people are talking about it all over the place. So it does sound like something's happening. We don't know what what that is yet. You know, it could be as simple as like, hey, McGovern is is stepping back and becoming a co-DC or becoming some sort of defensive analyst. We just, we don't know any of the details yet, but, you know, sounds like there's some, some movement there, and we'll find out um, as we, we always do and uh, talk about it when, when there's something a little bit more more uh, concrete here. But, yeah, I think that's uh, that's mostly mostly what's going on right now. I, I, have we missed anything, Kevin? Don't believe so. Um, you know, women's basketball pulled through after we beat Oregon with a win of their own, so that was, that was good to see. Yes, yeah. I think they they lost to Oregon State. Did they win both those games? I don't remember now. No, now, now I will look this up real quick, but I, I know that they were in a, in a dogfight against Oregon State for a while, um, and I don't remember if they pulled through there or not. They beat Oregon State. Uh, they did and, beat Oregon yeah, State. Okay. So it ended up being a sweep. So, yeah, after the loss at home to Arizona, they've uh, won three straight. Excellent. Big yeah. one comes in a couple weeks. Uh, actually, it's, yeah, it's going to be in a couple weeks. A couple weeks, At yeah. Stanford. Yeah. Uh, always, always, uh, always a tough one, obviously. Stanford's women's basketball has been a powerhouse for a very long time. And, very uh, unlike the men. For, for definitely for seven years <laughs> while Jared, Jared Haas has been there. Yes, and uh, hopefully we can uh, we can pick them off this year and cut down some trees. We'll, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, that game's on, on 2.20, so a couple weeks away, but or a week away, actually, from today. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I think um, that's all we have for you today. We will catch you next week, hopefully after the barrier schools come through and... Uh, Lose fat L's. <laughs> yeah, take some fat L's up back to uh, the bay. Uh, and with that, we will go ahead and sign off and uh, go Bruins. Go Bruins. <laughs>